friends, and welcome to the Seeker Podcast on Service of Change Radio, where we challenge reality, question that which we've been taught, and hope to inspire a new direction of thought to bring about change. I'm your host, Dennis Nappy II, with Service of Change at serviceofchange.com, where you can read my book, I Am Human, We Are Not Who We Think We Are, for free just by subscribing to my free weekly newsletter called the Seeker Newsletter. A lot of great stuff in there. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about parallel universes, parallel worlds. There's been some uh, articles that have been recently released over the past week or two talking about possible proof that they do exist. Does that mean that there may be other people, other you and other another me, running around existing in multiple different worlds, living out different lives with different choices uh, and different consequences? Let's get into that tonight. There's some uh, relevant things I want to talk about. But before I get into that, there is uh, some more news that came out over the past week as well about Mars. And uh, I'm looking at usnews.com. The title is NASA Solar Winds Destroyed the Ocean on Mars. Let's say that again the ocean on Mars, which I think is uh, fascinating and it ties into something that I read years ago that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But uh, it says, NASA on Thursday, this is an article by Time Rise, NASA on Thursday unveiled data from a Mars probe that confirms the red planet once had an ocean and air, but it transformed into frozen desert because it lost the ability to protect itself against the solar currents of the sun. Scientists during a press conference explained findings from the eight scientific instruments on the satellite that has spent a year orbiting the skies of the red planet known as the Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution Probe, or MAVEN. Studies suggest the planet's thin atmosphere has elements that could support the building blocks of life, but the molecules are swept away by the solar winds because, unlike Earth, Mars lacks a global magnetic field that acts as a radiation shield, says Michael Meyer, lead scientist for the Mars Exploration Program at NASA. Ancient Mars had enough water to support microbial life, Meyer said, exploring, explaining that a key mission of MAVEN is to discover what happened to the water. They say water was abundant on Mars until between 3.7 billion to 4.2 billion years ago at the time when the surface of the Earth was also in its infancy. So, uh, pretty interesting stuff. They, uh, one, one more thing they said was NASA recently discovered streams of salty water flow across the surface of the planet during the warmer months of its solar cycle, but the extremity, extremely dry atmosphere is now only 1% as dense as the Earth's. It's unlikely that Earth is come in the coming millennia will go through that kind of prolonged exposure to solar winds that he wrote at Mars, said Dave Brain, a co-investigator on the Maverick team. That's fascinating to me. Now, NASA's admitting, based on the data that they're releasing to the public, 
that Mars once had oceans. Now they're making the claim that they most that they could have supported microbial life. They're saying that now the building blocks for life are present on Mars, but because of the you know the damage to solar winds, the thin atmosphere, life can't exist there. What really catches my attention about this is I read a book. I read this book is kind of the book that really sparked my journey. It's called Cosmic Cosmic Voyage by Dr. Courtney Brown, and he's a um, a trained remote viewer, initially by the government's remote viewing program, he was initially trained. And his book talks about not just the process of remote viewing, but he focused, he developed a, a modified technique called scientific remote viewing, and he focused his sights on the extraterrestrial influence on, on Earth or with humanity, just within our vicinity and our experience. And one of the sessions that he viewed, one of the sessions that he had, he was focused on the planet Mars. And what he observed was that the atmosphere was destroyed. Now, he said that it was hit by something. It's been years since I read this portion of the book. Um, but he said that it was hit, I believe, by a meteor or an asteroid or something hit the planet. And he said it stripped away the atmosphere. It caused a ripple effect and the atmosphere was stripped away. That's what NASA's saying right now is that the solar winds stripped the atmosphere away from the planet. Now, what Dr. Brown said was that Mars once supported an intelligent society of, of Martians, of beings, humanoid creatures, uh, a little bit more advanced than we are. And he says, when this planet started to die, some went underground and some evacuated and came here to the planet Earth and are, are you know, at various safe locations throughout the planet. Um, but that's always stuck with me now that this information is coming out from NASA making it quote-unquote official. Uh, I, I take that as a corroborating piece of information. And here's the thing about remote viewing for you skeptics that are out there. I, I challenge you to do your research. Uh, I also challenge you to, I, I'm going to say it a lot, subscribe to my newsletter to get the updates on when Food for the Archons is coming out because I break down a little bit more about remote viewing in there as well uh, in the portion of the book where I'm explaining we are capable of so much more than we've been taught and that we understand about ourselves. And what remote viewing does is it takes a set, it's not just looking at tarot cards or, or some kind of divination or just randomly getting your intuitive feeling, which which works well for many people, but this is a, a scientific set of protocols and procedures and they follow the same steps in the same sequence every time to gather data that is then analyzed. And what they do is, is they have... Um, calibration tests where they verify if that data is in fact if their if their viewer is gathering accurate information. So the only information the data the the viewer is given is maybe four numbers of let's say target coordinates, and he you know the numbers are read to the viewer and then the viewer starts writing down his impressions, moving through a various you know um, set of protocols, and the details get more and more. Uh, explicit as, or the, he gets more and more detailed as he's going through his uh, his protocol. So they're able to give him a target that, hey, we can go look at this target right now and see if he's giving us an accurate representation of that. He then gives his data without seeing any information, and then they compare the real event to what he was just looking at, and they're able to say, okay, yes, he's an accurate viewer. He's he's you know he did a pretty decent job on that, and they found they can do past events future events, uh, anywhere, anytime, any place uh, in existence really to view things and the data comes back accurate, at least as far as they can verify. So uh, fascinating stuff. Um, there's more to us than we realize. So 
I think with this NASA stuff, I, you know, just my opinion, they're gradually giving information out in an official capacity, paving the way to say, hey, there's advanced, you know, life out there. They found, you know, a planet recently that could how could support, you know, Earth-like life, intelligent life. I, I forget the article on that one, but I know that was just recently released, an Earth-like planet. Mars are saying once had oceans, has the building blocks for life today, could have supported microbial life. I think, you know, I think it had much more advanced life on the planet. Um, fascinating pictures that come out. You don't know what's doctored, what's, you know, what's somebody just reading too much into it. But there are some, some questionable photos that do come out from these Mars rovers of things uh, on not just Mars, but the moon as well. But that's a whole other show. Maybe I'll, I'll, you know, put some stuff together and get into that, the anomalies on the moon. Look into it, though, before you just start going, hey, Dennis, you're, you're sounding crazy. Uh, check that stuff out. Uh, but let's get into the, the bulk of the show, uh, Parallel Worlds Exist. And uh, I have some personal experiences. I don't want to say I have personal experiences with Parallel Worlds, but I, my suspicions arise that these worlds do exist based on some experiences I've had in my own life that I want to talk about. Uh, but before I get into that, let's look at some of these articles that have uh, come out talking about parallel universes and, and what they are. Uh, so in an article dated November 6, 2014, this is at mnn.com. I'll have all the links to everything I talk about in the show notes at serviceofchange.com. But it says, parallel worlds exist and interact with our world, says physicists. And in looking at this article, I'm paraphrasing, um, but it says, the idea of parallel universes in quantum mechanics has been around since 1957, explained Howard Wiseman, a physicist at Griffith University in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, and one of the physicists to come up with the, M uh, the many worlds interpretation. Each universe branches into a bunch of new universes every time a quantum measurement is made. All possibilities are therefore realized. In some universes, the dinosaur-killing asteroid missed Earth. In others, Australia was colonized by the Portuguese. But critics question the reality of these other universes since they do not influence our universe at all. On this score, our many interacting worlds approach is completely different as its name implies. Wiseman and colleagues have proposed that there exists a universal force of repulsion between nearby, or i.e. similar, worlds, which tends to make them more dissimilar. Quantum effects can be explained by factoring in this force they propose. Whether or not the math holds true will be the ultimate test for this theory. Does it or does it not properly predict quantum effects mathematically? But the theory is certain to provide plenty of fodder for the imagination. For instance, when asked about whether their theory might entail the possibility that humans could someday interact with other worlds, Wiseman said, It's not a part of our theory, but the idea of human interactions with other universes is no longer pure fantasy. So, at the quantum level, which quantum physics is some really weird stuff, and I've talked about this on, on some of my other shows, and here's my caveat, I'm not a quantum physicist, so I, I get the, you know, the watered-down version so I can understand it. In a, in a format that I can talk about it, but quantum stuff is very bizarre. It behaves in a very bizarre fashion. But basically, the quantum particles, the things that make up us and everything that we know to be in existence, one of the things that they're finding is that, you know, they're influenced by consciousness. But something else in another article that I, that I read um, that I'm going to try to get to today, they said that that may explain why um, these articles only appear to do things when we look at them. And I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. Let me get to that. Um, the article, in an article dated, uh, where is this one at here? November 8th, 2015. This is the one that was recently out in the news. Caltech scientists may have just discovered proof of a parallel universe. 
Okay, and uh, it says parallel universes may actually exist according to research finding by Caltech cosmologist Ranga Ram Charity published in an Astrophysical Journey journal study in September. According to the Space Reporter, Sherry found a strange blob in the universe's cosmic microwave background, which he thinks is a residue from the Big Bang phenomenon, a theory about the beginning of the universe. This, he believes, might verify the existence of a parallel universe. The Huffington Post reports that while Cherry may just have discovered plain noise, it might not be the case as the spots of light were 4,500 times brighter than normal. He then came to a conclusion that the glow may represent elements from another universe that are perhaps leaking into our own. Cherry cited the phenomenon as cosmic bruising, an occurrence in which the universe is bumping up against another as per Space Reporter. So, not still fascinating but this article you know the, with all the hype that came with it doesn't say what i guess my imagination runs to is that oh my gosh they found proof that there's other worlds and there's other dennis nappies running around doing podcasts and other crazy things um doesn't discredit that possibility but they're just saying another universe exists basically meaning what we can observe right now is our known universe and there may be stuff that we can't observe that it creates another universe um, that may have possibly bumped into us which is amazing the, you know the possibility that there's other universes out there when you try to think about just how big our universe is uh, so it really makes you think um, you know what's out there and, and what what did we bump into or what caused that anomaly so I want to tie this into some stuff I've talked about in, on another show called Are We Living in the Matrix um, and, and some other things that I've, that I've covered. And it, I, I think it all ties in. I, I, I've found in my research over the years that all this stuff is connected. I know I sometimes seem like I'm all over the place. In my head, it all makes sense. My hope is that when I get it on the airwaves, I'm presenting it in a fashion that's uh, understandable and and entertaining to listen to at least to get the imagination running but this one uh, you know in, in a paper by Nick Bostrom who was uh, with the faculty of philosophy at Oxford University in 2003 in the uh, in philosophical quarterly volume 53 number 211 pages 243 to 255 also known as the simulation argument um, Nick Bostrom wrote are you living in a computer simulation and the abstract states the paper argues that at least one of the following propositions is true. The human species is very likely to go extinct before reaching a post-human stage. Two, any post-human civilization is extremely unlikely to run a significant number of simulations of their evolutionary history or variations thereof. And three, we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. It follows that the belief that there is a significant chance that we will one day become post-humans who run ancestral simulations is false unless we are currently living in a simulation. A number of other consequences of this result are also discussed. So he goes in to discuss this uh, this theory and this possibility that basically, if number three is true, or it, you know, if a simulation, if there was a post-human civilization, there's a possibility that they'd said, hey, much like the Sims game, let's run a sim simulation based on our ancestry, and let's change a couple things. And every time you change something, you know, that creates a whole other world, a whole other, uh, you know universe there for uh, for existence and that creates when I think of parallel world maybe what I'm thinking more of is the the multiverse it, which might be different from a parallel universe I, you know I think they tend to get used interchangeably again I'm not a scientist but uh, that could be one explanation the simulation uh, theory that 
there are simulations running out there and we are in fact actually that simulation which would tie into the weird quantum stuff that we don't quite understand why it does what it does if this is some t type of a digital or computerized simulation um, out there now let's look at you know a little bit more proof to that possibility uh, theoretical physicist James Gates and this is the one I this is the guy I talked about in my uh, are we living in the matrix podcast that you can find on our YouTube channel uh, he finds computer code in the string theory equation uh, and, and basically relatively recently whilst exploring the mathematics of string theory uh, and this is I'm sorry this is written by Kai Weiss dated April 9th 2014 theoretical physicist James Gates and his research discovered something rather interesting buried deep within the mathematical equations of supersymmetry they found computer code and it isn't just random ones and zeros bizarrely the code they found is code which is used in computer browser operating system software binary code they have it as block linear self dual error correcting code okay uh, it's what it's fascinating um, it basically says block linear self dual error correcting codes are vital in the exchange of digital information as they monitor codes sent and measure it against what's what what's already known self-adjusting as required in order to accurately transmit and receive the correct information so Mr. Gates, Professor Gates, discovered computer code found when studying string theory, basically. So there's, and, and he said in an interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson, he said the strangest thing for him to accept during his research was that the, his words, the movie The Matrix, may be an accurate representation of his life. We may be in some kind of simulation. So that leads credence to the simulation theory. Uh, and the fact that there might be a multiverse going on, you know, maybe I'm making some leaps here, but it's it's possible, and I find that to be very very exciting. That hey, there might be, you know, another me out there. There might be multiple me's out there, kind of like uh, Jet Li's movie The One, or there's a movie called Parallels. You know, a lot of different films and books out there talk about, you know, in the science fiction realm. But maybe someday that's going to become science fact. And lastly, I have an article. Uh, and again, all this is going to be linked in the show notes at serviceofchange.com. But this is from uh, theeventchronicle.com, and this is uh, this is dated. Where's my date here? May 13th, 2015. NASA scientists say says we may be living in a matrix-like digital imprisonment designed by aliens. Okay. And the part that I wanted to read was uh, Rich Terrell, director of the Center for Evolutionary Computation and Automated Design at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, has, spo <coughs> excuse me, has spoken up about the digital simulation. Right now, the fastest NASA supercomputers are cranking away at about double the speed of the human brain, the NASA scientist told Vice. If you make a simple calculation using Moore's Law, which roughly claims computers double in power every two years, you'll find that these supercomputers inside of a decade will have the ability to compute an entire human lifetime of 80 years, including every thought ever conceived during that lifetime, in the span of one month. In quantum mechanics, particles do not have a definite state unless they're being observed. Many theorists have spent a lot of time trying to figure out how you explain this. One explanation is that we're living within a simulation, seeing what we need to see when we need to see it. That's what I was trying to talk about three articles ago. I got ahead of myself. What I find inspiring is that even if we are a simulation or many orders of magnitude down in levels of simulation, somewhere along the line something escaped the primordial ooze that became us and to result in simulations that made us and that's cool. 
So, you know, and the article goes on to talk about a lot more, um, you know, things that that could explain in our crazy world. But, uh, you know, they say that, you know, looking at quantum particles, they don't do anything. They don't appear until we observe them. So he said that basically, all right, I'm playing a computer game, and that is not there right now. It's not on the screen until I'm ready to go into that window or to go into that world or to pull that item out of the bag. You know, if you're playing some kind of video game, it's the same concept. Those quantum particles don't need to manifest and appear until you observe them, until you consciously call them into existence, basically. They're out there somewhere stored in data uh, and ready to come out. So there's more and more theorists that are out there, but there's also some evidence that's starting to be built to, to suggest that this is going on. You know, in, in the last show that I talked about with... Um, you know some of the other stuff talking about the digital universe and, and the um, holographic universe there's more and more stuff out there I think that is starting to put a picture together and there are people out there who understand it a lot better than me but I, 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 I see it I see it a lot differently than, than what I was taught as a child there's much more to our reality and this show I wanted to do this show because you know it it, it hits kind of close to home for me, as most of the shows that I do um, tend to tend to, but I, I've had a series of dreams throughout my life, especially over the last five to six years, I'd say, where they seem more real. Now, um, you know, Descartes, I believe it was Descartes who talked about. I can't really determine the difference between I'm dreaming and when I'm awake. You know, that's where he came up with "I think, therefore I am." That was the best conclusion he could come to. On, uh, on who he who we are, what is our existence, what are we? But if I can't tell the difference between when I'm dreaming and when I'm awake, cause when, you know, now I have had lucid dreams where I'm able to say, okay, this is in fact a dream. But I've had certain dreams where it just feels like it's so much more than a dream. Like I'm a part of something. Like I'm witnessing something. And in some of these dreams, I've had relationships with people that in most cases that I know that are friends of mine or acquaintances of mine but in those dreams my relationship to them is different than it is now um, I had a dream with about somebody who was a mere acquaintance of mine but in this dream I knew this person so well. She was such a good friend of mine in this dream, and we had this strong bond, this strong connection, this strong relationship. And it felt so real, you know. And I was me, and she was her, but we, it was just different. And I remember waking up, and I still had those feelings of friendship. And I didn't, I didn't really care for this person. But when I woke up, I had this strong feeling of friendship for her because that dream was so real to me that I had that experience. And I just wondered if. You know, if they're saying these quantum particles are interacting with our in our worlds, you know, on the quantum level, maybe our dreams are a way to access that. Uh, maybe we do get glimpses into those other worlds. Uh, you know, because I've had those experiences multiple times in my life where I, I view somebody in a different light, uh, and it's 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 as if it's a whole different world. And I don't realize it at the time during the dream, but then I wake up and I realize, wow, that was different. But that was just such a, you know, I have to think for a minute of which world that I'm living in and uh, you know so just just some some really interesting experiences that I've had with that and, and I had another encounter where it was somebody I knew and I was in a relationship with this person but and I'm not in the in this waking life 
but I, I the more I analyze that that dream or that experience, I don't know that I was me. I don't know that I was Dennis Nappy. I almost felt like as if I was somebody else. And it, it was just, again, I can't stress the realness of these experiences. I've had some dreams you wake up like, oh, that was goofy, you know. But these, it's it's as if it's a real memory that I have, that I was somebody else and experiencing a discussion that I was having with this person. Um, I don't know them well enough to, to contact them like, hey, do you, you know, did you ever have an experience like this or a dream like this or anything like that? But uh, it was so profound just to, to be a part of that. I almost wonder if... I'm learning something, or, or maybe I just have an overactive imagination. But when I see multi multiverse, multi universe, I tend to be a believer, based on just my intuition. I go off my intuition a lot, you know, as those that that follow the show and, and read my work. No, but they were such powerful experiences. Just sitting at it, we were, we, were, we had an argument in the street, and then I walked into what what I guess was my apartment, and then she came in and sat down at the table and we continued our discussion and it was just so so powerful and I don't again I don't know that I was even Dennis Nappy the second but I just saw an article I, I didn't get a chance to read it yet but it says you know physicists somebody doctors physicists think that consciousness may exist apart from the body after death on the quantum level now if that holds true if consciousness can can exist external from ourselves and there are parallel universes or, or multiverse or parallel worlds who's to say that our consciousness can't be implanted somewhere else now a lot of the UFO abduction encounters talk about this happening people say my brain was removed from my head or you know they say that the that people that talk about I want to say Dulcie say on certain floors they are able to take the consciousness out of a human being and put the consciousness of an extraterrestrial in there not saying that's true or not but this stuff is out there where people are making these claims that consciousness can be transplanted is that really any different than taking the hard drive out of this one computer and connecting it to another computer you know um, it, it all depends on how, how you view consciousness in the human brain the brain might just be nothing more than a CPU uh, that you know, is on a Wi-Fi signal that is downloading consciousness from wherever it is stored, especially if this is a digital universe. So, I guess I'm looking at a couple different things. Can I experience myself in a parallel universe where I'm just tapping into that consciousness? Is that a greater aspect of myself, or is that a totally different consciousness? Maybe I'm just one consciousness having multiple experiences at once. I don't know. Or, can I transpose my consciousness into someone else's experience temporarily to see what, what they're going through? Have you ever experienced blackouts? Have you ever done things and you go, I don't know why I was doing that, or I felt so out of it in that moment. I don't remember saying that. Maybe somebody else is having a dream, and for some reason or some way they break the barrier and come into your own consciousness and have temporarily limited control over your thoughts and of your actions. There's a lot of good information out there that talks about these possibilities, but at the end of the day, at least you know, for the masses, we just don't know. But I'd say, you know, it, it's it's definitely a possibility and something. Let your imagination run with it and think about what that means and what you know what we could do with that. I just I could think about that all day long. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, close out the show on that on that note. There, I hope I've sparked your imagination on that. I hope I didn't. Uh, bore you with this with this subject that's never never my goal uh, as a podcaster but I'd like to thank you for continually listening to the show the greatest way to support me and there's a couple things you can do but I would love it if you signed up for my newsletter the seeker the seeker podcast um, 
you know, will be sent to your inbox as well. But sign up for the secret newsletter at servicechange.com slash I am human. You will get to read I am human and we're not who we think we are for free. It's not, you know, I'm not going to charge you for it. I, I just am trying to build a, an audience and a following. And that's great feedback for me to know, hey, people are listening. It keeps me doing this, getting up, you know, and, and editing it, putting it all together. So there's a lot of work, probably five or six hours uh, of my time that I put into getting this show up and on the air and publishing it in all the different places that I that I have it out there. So uh, if you could subscribe to that newsletter, follow me on Facebook, and, and you know, just like and share this stuff to get more people interested in it. Uh, I would really, really appreciate it. That that would just be great. So again, servicechange.com/slash/I'm-human, and that will walk you through, you know, the 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 preliminaries of why I'm thinking the way I do and some of the experiences I've had and it's a great build up for Food for the Archons which promises to be a, a possibly a life changing book for somebody that's not you know never broached this stuff before and for those of you that are interested in this topic and have you know are well researched in it I think you're going to appreciate the dots that I'm connecting and the sources that I'm pulling because they're not common sources that, that you see in a lot of these types of books so um, there's my sales pitch for the show not that I'm selling anything but uh, please uh, check it out. Again, servicechange.com slash I am human. I'd love to have you, you know, join the uh, <clears throat> join the newsletter. So we are officially out of time. I am Dennis Nappy II with Service of Change at serviceofchange.com. This has been the Seeker Podcast. Remember that small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Welcome to Truth Seekers.